we're reminded in Romans 12, in verse 21, it says, Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. And so with this transition from Romans 12 to Romans 13, Paul is transitioning from this individual charge to live the Christian life to being a child of God that lives our lives before this world. That we don't hide ourselves in a cocoon, that we don't run away, that we be in this world but not be a part of this world. And so we're going to spend some time just kind of looking at that uh, because we see that Paul in Galatians 2.20 says this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, anybody got a now living life? I live by the faith in the Son of God who cared for me, who loved me, and gave himself for me. And so let's take that charge to live the life before this world, the way Christ lived it, that we would live it by faith, that this life would have the proper response, that we would put on Christ. Now that's the title of our message today. Would you turn your Bible with me as we look at Romans chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. It reads, let us walk properly as in the day, not in rivalry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So Paul gives us an instruction here with uh, three proper and effective ways I'd like to talk today about our conduct of putting on Christ, our conduct before the world as we go out, that we not just live our life as a Christian silently and quietly and, you know, behind closed doors and that we cut ourselves for, off from the world, but we live effectively before the world, that they would see Christ in us. And so those three world ways that I like to talk about and that Paul gives us in Scripture to look at is the first is to submit to the government. I know we don't like that word. We don't like that term. We go, wait a minute. Submit to the government. The second is love your neighbor. And there's some neighbors that we have that's in need of love. Would you agree? And then the third is to put on Christ. And not just to put on, you know, this this uh, facade or this image of what Christ may look like, but put on the things as when Christ was here, how he lived before the world, that he put on submission. He said, render to Caesar what is Caesar, render, render to God what is God. And to put on love, even though they tried to persecute him, even though they tried to beat him and come against him, he loved those around him. He loved even those that persecuted him. And then to put on Christ in the manner of doing things the way he did it. Not just to put on a symbol, not to maybe a, a, a cross or something, a sticker on our car, or, but to put on the manner of Christ. Let it be ever-present 
in our lives. So let me begin with the first one, to submit to the government, because sometimes, you know, especially in the world we live in, the society, that can seem kind of challenging. That can seem stressful at times, right? It can seem like we really shouldn't. But Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 says this, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Did you hear that? Man, that just should just blow our mind. There is no authority except from God. And the authorities that, ex- that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And I'll clarify this because I know there's probably some thoughts running through our mind right now. And so let's take a, a moment to just look at the principle of submitting. See, that word submit in the Bible means to put oneself under the authority of another, but especially God, that we would allow ourselves to be under the authority. See, submission is an act of faith. Sometimes we don't see it that way when we're going through these trials and we're seeing things happening, but it's actually an act of faith that who are we putting our faith in? Who are we trusting? If God is the one that appoints the authority and if we trust in God, everything's going to be all right. So submission is an act of faith that shows our trust in God and his purpose us. The Bible instructs us to submit to God as well as to other human beings, such as our leaders, such as our spouses submit one to another, such as our parents and the order and the conduct of our home. In order to live in peace and harmony with one another, that we would all be obedient and follow God's plan in submission one to another. See, there is not a conditional or a relative ordinance of obedience that if this or on because of this, but that we would submit to God, we would surrender ourselves to his plan. But let me talk to you a little bit, because we remember that Paul wrote this during the reign of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was not a democracy. They were not friends to the Christians. They were actually kind of totalitarian, that they would control everything that was going on. It was almost like a dictatorship. Yet he still saw their legitimate authority. Just as Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, one of the worst Roman governors of Judea that they had ever had. And just as Paul suffered under Nero, the worst Roman emperor, and neither of them, neither Jesus nor Paul, denied or reviled the authority. I know it sounds strange, but we see the example of Christ. We see the example of Paul. And then even Peter confirms God's will and the importance of obeying higher authority. I'm going to get there because I know we still got those thoughts. But let's look what Peter said in 1 Peter 2. Verse 13 through 17. He said this, 
be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil. See, there's a reason for that submitting. Submit for the Lord's sake. God is doing something. God is working something out on our behalf. God has a plan. We remember that in Scripture it talked about God being long-suffering, that he sees all the things that's happening in this world. He sees the trials. And so he put authority in place so that evil wouldn't overtake us, so that there would be a level of punishment for wrongdoing, so that they wouldn't utterly destroy everything. Look else what he says is, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So that's another element of it. See, there's a difference. Our laws and our authorities allow us to see that there are those that are doing good and those that are doing evil. And that authority will, is charged by God to punish evil, to put people in prison, to lock them up, to cause things to be stopped. And it brings light to those who are doing good. So we get to be an example in this fallen world the goodness of God, how he's transformed our life, that we are a living sacrifice, that we're not conforming to this world, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Look what else it says. So that when foolish people come and say all these things about us, our witness, our example will speak for itself. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil or an excuse to do things that you shouldn't be doing, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. See, that's a word that's kind of gotten lost in our culture today, to honor. You know, honor doesn't cost us anything. But there's so much reward and riches that comes when we honor one another, especially our elders, especially our leaders. Young and old, it don't cost us nothing to say, sir and ma'am, but it brings back great reward when we treasure people, when we respect them. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, the plans and the purposes, the direction that God has put in place, the allowances, the things that he desires to happen. And so there's a word that we see here that says resist. And so it's important that we kind of just define that a little bit, see, uh, in the Greek, and when we translate that word, it means to set against, to withstand, 
to take a complete stand against something or someone, refusing to be moved or pushed back. And so as the Lord was kind of speaking to my heart, he was saying, Jeff, there's, there's, there's two elements to this. And so the first one we, 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 we kind of get as Christians, if you're a believer here, if you've accepted Christ, where it says resist evil or resist the things of the world. And so we have this understanding that we need to have a stand against it, that we need to not do those things, that we fight against it. But there's also a resisting when God's put his plans in place, when God is trying to create us anew, when God is trying to transform us. Do we resist the will of God? Do we resist because we think the plan should go a certain other way? See, many of us will look at this plan and we would say, well, I don't know if I agree with that plan. See, when we do that, we resist not only a plan that God's put in place, but we resist God. And so he wants us to trust him in all things. Surrender to him. Let's go a little bit farther. The Bible teaches that Christians should not resist the authority that God has established, but should resist the temptation that comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Since God, governments have authority from God, we, we are bound to obey them. Unless they order us to do something in contradiction to God's law. See, God is the one that's in authority. So we are always to obey God's law. See, sometimes we, uh, we forget and the world forgets or don't understand that they are servants of God. See, that word as we see that it says ministers of God, it means to be a servant of God, that God allowed them to be in that place, in those positions, in that institution to serve his plans. So would you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 19. So we were commanded to obey God before men. And as the world or authority goes against God's authority, goes against God's plan, and look what the Bible reminds us of in Acts 4, verse 18 through 21. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And this was the scribes and Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish people during that day. And they were speaking, Peter and John, about Jesus, and they were sharing the gospel. And they came to them and commanded them to shut up, stop talking about it. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishment of punishing them because of the people since they all glorified God for what he has done. 
And so this is not a blind obedience. It's not a turning away and, of, and turning a blind eye to everything that happens in our government and our leadership. But it's having a balance of always remembering that our allegiance and our obedience is to God. And that as God has allowed these institutions to be in place, that we would set the example of obedience for the good order and conduct that God wants to have in this world, holding back the tide, holding back the destruction of sin. But then when the world and leadership gets so far gone that they want to go against God, we don't go with them. We obey him. I had a friend one time, it's a co-worker. We were, this was probably about 15, 20 years ago. We were in the uh, office. We were talking about the, the uh, issue of abortion. And he looked at me and said, well, that's a law that we have. And, and God said, obey the laws of the land. I said, no, brother, you got that wrong. Remember Acts, remember the example that we see, who are we to obey? God first and foremost. And so we follow his plan, we trust him. There's be times that we're challenged, that there's gonna be problems, that there's gonna be strife that comes with it, there's gonna be hardships, but we trust him, obey his command. See, it states that the rulers are God's ministers. They're his servants. And they should remember that, that they are only servants and not God's themselves. And so we also can have that same perspective. Remember, don't forget that they're servants. That we don't obey them out of blind allegiance. And forget what God has said. That this is the standard for faith and practice. How we live our lives. How we trust God. That his word is truth. That we stand on his promises. That we trust him. But we are a living example for everything that God has said and God has done. And so God put in place this earthly authority, this government, to help hold back the destructive nature of sin. Remember how God wants to give everyone an opportunity. See, sometimes we don't think about it or talk about it enough, but if God, if this structure wasn't in place, our world would be in, we probably would think it's a little bit of that already, is would be in chaos and upheaval with no laws. Nothing to restrain or hold back the destructive nature of sin. See, look with me in James, the first chapter, verse 14 through 15. See, here's the process that happens. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, 
give, given birth, it bringeth forth sin. See, the act of unrighteousness. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So that's the only result that you can get out of sin is death. It is like, it's like a piranha. It eats everything. And so as it's allowed to go unchecked, it continues to destroy. It continues to kill. It continues to steal. See, Jesus said, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. See, this is a, something that we even see in Scripture and that history has shown us. See, the Babylonian nation was an example of the destructive nature of sin. The Babylonian nation, whenever they would come and they would overtake another nation, it was with the intent of totally annihilating that nation. They would come and they would kill all of the able-bodied men that could fight against them. They would steal everything of value that was within that city or that nation. They would take the gold and the silver and everything that they could use for themselves. And then they would destroy. They would burn and destroy the buildings. They would make that city as if it never existed. They would wipe it from the face of the earth so they could never come back on them. The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And so we get that in Christ. And as God is holding back the tide, he's allowing this destruction to not overtake us. He tells us to be obedient, to submit that his plan is in place. Be examples to others, how to live, how to put on Christ in this lost and dying world. So this is for our good. And we are children of God. So we get to set the right example for God's plan. And for God's plan to be fulfilled. So it takes us to this next step that we see in verse 8 through 10 of Romans chapter 13. To love your neighbor. Would you look with me at Romans 13 verse 8. Here's what it says. Oh no one, excuse me, oh no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. See, the Christian has an obligation to his neighbor, and that obligation is to love his neighbor. Maybe that's the one next door to you. Maybe that's the one at work. Maybe that's the one in your home. And so you ask the question, why is this an obligation? Why is this what we're supposed to do? See, the, word, the, the world does not understand this word love and does not know how to do this according to God's plan. 
So we are the examples of it. As well as the world is not able to express the very essence of who God is, which is love. And so God has imparted his love in us. We've been made in his image and his likeness. We've been transformed. We are now living sacrifices. And so the world is able to see and experience and taste the love of God through us. So it's an act and it's an obligation. It's owed because of Christ, because of his unconditional love for us while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. When we were unlovable, Christ loved us. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that neighbor, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, when we love others, when we love those around us, we are part of that helping to not perish. That someone would come to know the love of Christ. See, this principle of love is spelled out in Romans chapter 13, verse 10. And this principle of love is if you love your neighbor, you will not harm your neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill all the commandments of God. You won't have to have this big list. Whether you think about the 10 or you think about the 666 of all the different things that we could do and not do. It's summed up if you love your neighbor. If you love God and his love pours out in you and compels you to love others. You won't harm your neighbor. You'll want to care for them. You'll want to treat them right. See, Paul talked about it to the Corinthian church in verse 13, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 4 and 7. Here's what he said to the Corinthians. He said, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up, does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So he's saying, in a sense, love is kind. He's telling us to be kind. Don't envy, don't desire what others have. Don't parade ourselves around like it's all about us when it's truly all about him. And don't be puffed up because if it wasn't for Christ, where would we be? Don't behave rudely. When you go to the grocery store, when you go and sit down for, for lunch after service, don't be rude to the waiter and waitress. When they say something crazy or they, they take forever to bring your food, smile and love on them. Be radical with it. Get up and give them a hug. 
Tell them I know it's hard with all these folks in here. I sure appreciate you. See, one thing I've learned is love is radical. God's love, God's unconditional love is what the world needs today. It's radical, and it's been poured out on us so much so that we're just in awe. Why would God be so good to us? But you know, God is no respected person. He wants to love on others like that too. And they're not in a place just yet to be able to sense his presence because he's ever-present. They're not in a place just yet to be able to see with their spirit, spiritual eyes that he's there, that he never leaves you or forsakes you. But they can see you. They can see the manner of your love. And as you are embracing with love, they get to see Christ in you. The hope of glory. So be kind. Does not rejoice in iniquity. I know that's a strange one. But that's an act of love to rejoice when things are messed up. You know, people going to call you crazy when you're rejoicing, when things are just going crazy around you. That we don't just think those things are funny. Think those things are just a part of, you know, doing business today. See, iniquity, the word itself, means uncontrolled sin. It just ran rampant with us. So now let me say the next part. When, we, when we're going through trials and you're rejoicing, it can make a difference. So they get to see God. And then we give to them. We, don't, you know, we, we lack it in short, but we love it on others. Rejoice in the truth. God is always on your side. His plans are steadfast and sure. See, it may not look like it, but we can rejoice in this truth that what God said he would do, he will do. Bears all things, holds up, endures. That we bear the burden for one another. So that's an act of love. And this believe all things. You know what that, that means? That we trust God, that God can do it. For them and through them. That we don't look at the, the current state of man and kind of go like, man, that person, there's no hope for him. But we believe that if God could do it for us, he could do it for them. See, when they can't have hope, we have hope for them. We remind ourselves and we remind them, trust God and watch what he can do. See, the results of walking in love, Paul kind of ends this portion with this word in Romans 13.10. He says, love does no harm 
to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It addresses all the commandments. It addresses all the law and the plans and the purposes of God. Love doesn't do any harm. It actually does good. So you, fulf- you literally fulfill God's commands when you walk in love. When you continue in love. If you are being and doing these characteristics of love, you will not sin against God or against your neighbor. Jesus' words made it clear in John 13, verse 33 through 35. Here's what he said to us. He said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you. See, that's the, that's the preference. That's the caveat. And how did Christ love us? With everything. He was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to give him himself. He said, even of the two, that, the, the gentleman that was standing before him as he was crucified on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so he challenges us to love that way, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples. See, in this world, we get to be an example so that the world would know that we follow Christ if you have love one for another. The final one is to put on Christ. We see this in verse 11 through 14 of Romans 13. I'd ask you to go with me to verse 14 of Romans 13. It says this, to put, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. See, that was a thing I used to tell my boys when they were growing up. And so I want to just kind of be clear about this. I would tell them, as they were getting ready to grow up and look for their first jobs and all through life when they were going out somewhere, I'd say, sons, dress for the job you want, not the job you got. And so I would talk to them about that and I'd tell them what it means. That you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression. I'm not saying to be fake or phony, but dress for the job you want. That desired outcome, prepare yourself and be ready to show that first and foremost. Let me explain it a little more. This is not about putting on a mask or being someone that you're not, but putting on your very best and being intentional about it. That we would put on Christ that we would put on his submission, that we would put on his love, and that we would put on the manner of Christ, how he would respond to the woes and the challenges and the differences of this world. Even when things aren't going right, when, when Jesus got to the temple and he saw what was going on in the temple, you know, he had to, he, 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 he 
kind of took a minute. Anybody ever needed to take a minute? And he said, my father's house would be a house of prayer, but you all have made it a den of thieves. And he took action. He was intentional about it. He was responding with clarity. And so God is speaking to our hearts to be intentional about how we're presenting ourselves, how we're living and operating in this world. Don't be oblivious to what's happening around us. See, sometimes as Christians, we can get into our, we can get into our cocoons and we can have the me, myself, and I kind of mindset and not even really know it. We're just fellowshipping, we're living life, and we're missing what's happening around us. And so he's reminding us to be intentional that we're going out into a lost world. They don't understand what we have come to understand. And so we need to put on those things that are going to allow them to see Christ high and lifted up in us. So let me go a little bit farther and explain because he, uh, 14 is that end verse, but he talked about a couple of things in verse 11 and 12. Verse 11, he says, know the times, know where you're at. That's a part of putting on Christ is knowing the situations that we're going into. And know that it's time to be awake, to be aware, to be watchful so that we can be ready to respond the right way. Verse 12, 12, he spoke about allow yourself to cast off the works of darkness. You know, there needs to be a casting off of all of these things that the world has just kind of made normal. That it shouldn't be normal to us. It shouldn't just be the way things are that we got to we cast it off. So there could be a clear difference. And put on the armor of light. Don't resist the transformational work of the Holy Spirit. See, this is what can happen sometimes when we're living so accustomed in this world. They used to tell me that the way you cook frogs, the way you get frogs to, you know, you can have frog legs, is that you put them in a pot. You don't turn the fire up to 330 degrees. But you slowly bring that fire up. You bring it to about 100 so it feels warm, feels like a jacuzzi. They're just sitting in there and relaxed, and as we're bringing up the heat, they don't realize that they're being cooked. See, if we're not careful, if we're not putting on Christ and casting off darkness, that can be the same for us. We can feel like it's just everyday business, it's the way the world is. We're just a part of it. And we can go around unaware. So don't resist the transformational work of the Holy Spirit to cast those old ways off of you and to develop some righteous indignation about the wickedness of this world. We need to have righteous indignation. We need to cast off that darkness Allow yourself to get upset about it. Jesus did. 
He responded the right way. The Bible says anger, but sin not. And Jesus was not at peace when he saw what was happening in the temple. Let us not be at peace when we see what's happening to this world. And put on the armor of light. Be intentional. Arm yourself with God's truth, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and walk in the light. That's what he commands us to do. So 1 John 1, 7 says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's how we enhance our fellowship. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. And so Paul challenges us, allow yourself to walk properly. Walk according to the plans and the intent and the purpose that God has for our lives. And not like the trends of society or the culture of this world. And as I conclude, this is our business of Christ. And the business of Christ has a certain attire that we put on Christ. Not all the other stuff, not all what the world is trying to tell us to do, but we put on Christ as we walk out amongst the world and society that others would see Christ on us. Yes, we live the Christian life fully and abundantly, and we walk in it, and we are intentional that we just don't live it. We must be intentional that we don't forget about the world around us that is dying, that is needing to see Christ in us. And so if we are not careful, we can forget the world is watching. We can create cocoons for ourselves and forget to put on Christ to show Christ to the world. And so I charge myself and I charge each and every one of us, be intentional in our neighborhoods, at our workplace, our schools. Maybe some of, us, some of you are saying, well, Pastor, I don't know what to say. But if you put on the manner of Christ, if you put on the submission, if you put on the love of Christ, it'll speak for itself. And then as you're given opportunity when people ask you, see, something used to happen when I was in the military and we would go places where I needed to put on my uniform. And on my uniform, I would have patches on my uniform and I'd have medals and ribbons and I could see that people were watching me. Maybe when I walked through the airport, it's like a row of eyes would immediately see me. And then when I got to a certain place, see, I was putting on that uniform. And it signified and it said something that caused people to stop and look. And they would come and they would ask me questions. It gave me an opportunity to share my life and what I was doing in the military. And in that same example, we have an entire attire that's Christ. 
And so as we get up in the morning, we're brushing our teeth and we're getting ready. Think about the manner of Christ. Think about his unconditional love and his sacrifice. Think about his submission and honor and put it on. And when you start going around people and you're saying to the attendant, sir and ma'am, and you're saying, I hope your day goes well. And you're not honoring and angry. And you're loving and submitting. They see your uniform. And they go, why are you like that? And you get to share. It's because he loved me so much. Christ saved my life. And watch it. Watch how it transforms your neighborhood. Watch how it transforms the world around you. Because you were willing to present Christ to the world through you. And I guarantee you, you never, ever regret it.